Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Our goals aren't as out of reach as we once thought because things are coming back. And if there's anything we've learned, it's that there's no time like the present. At U.S. Bank, we take the time to understand you, to help get you to where you really want to be by getting to the root of any financial obstacle so you can move forward because side by side, there's no telling how far you'll go. U.S. Bank, we'll get there together. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best way to buy tickets to sporting events and concerts. Download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and save $20 off your first purchase with promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of October 29th, 2018. This is our final show before we take a break. I know we have been podcasting nonstop since SoxFest, but we have reached that point of the calendar year where it's off-season time. Will the market move as slow as it did last year? Where will Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sign? Will Clayton Kershaw opt out of his contract? Which team is ready to bust the piggy bank and go ham in spending cash? Those are the questions we'll follow all winter long because it's fun. What's also fun is coming up with our own off-season plans for the White Sox, in which so many of you did on SoxMachine.com. This episode, we'll be hearing from some of you sharing your unique ideas to address the White Sox roster issues, and Jim and I will share our own ideas. Now, I highly doubt the Chicago White Sox will acquire either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper because of the investment cost, but that doesn't mean the White Sox can't spend money on a player that can help fill a need. One such player could be Josh Donaldson, and that's what Trooper Galactus included in his offseason plan. And Trooper, thanks for coming on the show, and your plan is to sign Josh Donaldson to a four-year $120 million deal 
with a club option for a fifth year. Why throw so much cash at Josh Donaldson? Well, Josh, uh, my reasoning was uh, I see a lot of people in their plans trying to give Josh Donaldson like a pillow contract. And I don't see foresee him taking a pillow contract. Now, I understand the reasoning behind that where he's had a, he had a, what would be considered for him a down year. He's been dealing with injuries and he's going to be 33 years old. But that's kind of exactly why I think he won't take a pillow contract because he's going to be 33 years old. Because if he takes the pillow contract, at the end of that, he'll just be 34 years old and he's in an even worse position than he was before than he would have been now, even though he was injured the previous season. This is a guy who's, over the last several years, has literally been one of the five best players in Major League Baseball. Uh, last year, if you took the OPS that he posted in 52 games, despite being injured and less effective than he ever was, he still would have led our team in OPS. So I think that he has still got an elite player in him, and I don't see him settling for less money. If he didn't get injured, if he didn't didn't get injured last season, the guy would probably be looking at closer to like 150 to 180 million dollars. So I I just don't see him being cheap, but I see him being worth it. Do you think it's wise to commit so many years to a player who has recently dealt with major injuries? Well, Josh, four years is technically not a lot of years uh, in the grand scheme of things. When we're talking about Manny Machado, Manny Machado is probably going to demand at least double that years, if not three times that many years. So in in that sense, it's not a lot of years. Um, It's the age that should be most concerning where we're paying for his age 33 to 37 season. Um, and yes, of course, there's always going to be a risk when you're signing a guy in that's and you know on the wrong side of a 30 entering thir- entering his middle 30s. Uh, but that said, my plan involves that uh, Josh Donaldson play third for us in 2019, and then the team go hard after Nolan Arenado and shift Donaldson over to first base. So right away, if you assume that Josh Donaldson's uh, defense is going to decline with age like it does for most players, then shifting him to first base should keep him at least still defensively relevant. And the guy has the the bat to stick at first base. This is a man who, over the last five years, even with his injury-riddled 2018 season, has posted an 897 OPS over the last five years combined. Uh, He's averaged 30 home runs a season in that time. I just uh, – so we know the bat will play it first, and he can probably field it first. And if, even if first base becomes a problem, DH is still open. He'd still be a perfectly good bat for DH. Now, Josh Donaldson is a very competitive dude. Why do you think he would want to sign with the 62-win White Sox? Well, Josh, if – this is – and this goes more to the reason why I had so much money thrown invested in that. Josh Donaldson. The the White Sox are not operating in a vacuum. So there is going to be a competitive market bidding for Josh Donaldson. And in my opinion, if if Eric Hosmer can somehow get this kind of money, I don't see how you deny Josh Donaldson this kind of money because he's an infinitely better player just a few years older. Um, so you're paying for the upside, but you're also having to outbid other suitors. Uh, Donaldson has to look at the White Sox and, prob- and see the same thing we saw, a really, really bad team 
that maybe has some potential down the line, but there, he knows he would know he's entering a bad situation. You throw this kind of money at him, I think that that it significantly beats other bidders and makes it hard for Donaldson to turn down. Well, I think that's perhaps the only way that the White Sox are going to sign any of these top-tier free agents is that type of line of thinking, Trooper. Trooper, I like the target. We'll see if the White Sox are willing to spend that type of cash. Thank you so much for jumping on the show and sharing your idea. Thank you, Josh. A trade idea is making a move for an outfielder that's possibly blocked out in Colorado that I found intriguing. This idea comes from Pete Chapman. And Pete, thanks for coming on the show. You have Lurie Garcia and Tiago Vieira being traded to the Colorado Rockies for Raymil Tapia. What's the thought process behind the move? All right, so for this move, it's, we're not really talking about any uh, world beaters here in this trade. These are kind of minor players, but it's more of a issue of need for two teams. Larry Garcia is 27, going to be 28 next year, has less control, while Tapia uh, is only 24 and has more control, and he would probably be better served on a team that's kind of rebuilding while Larry Garcia is kind of an ultimate utility guy is a better fit for a team that would be competing now. And then, uh, Tiago Vieira, uh, is more of a strong bullpen arm who has really good, that hasn't really figured it out. So he'd be kind of a sweetener in this deal that would probably fit well for Colorado. If he ever did figure it out. What role do you have for Ray Mil Tapia? Um, yeah, I would, well, it would be somewhat depending on if it's a righty or lefty starting a game, but I would think against righties, he would be the starter in my plan. I was keeping Engel still on the team as well. It'd be kind of a platoon situation, righty, lefty, and center um, would be my plan. But um, he's more of a contact hitter guy, uh, not a lot of power, but he's a speedster and he can kind of play any outfield position. But I would have, I would start him in center day one if uh, righty's pitching. Do you think he's a long-term solution for the White Sox in center field? Or is he just a placeholder when Luis Basabe or maybe even Luis Robert are ready? I think at the floor level, he is a bridge guy. And if he ever reaches uh, top of what they thought he would be, he he was a top 100 prospect a few years ago. Um, He could be an actual everyday guy there. But at this point, I just think he's better than anyone else we have to put there in AAA or the majors. So he would be the starter for sure at that position right now. But there are some other people in the minors that I would hope could maybe be better than him. Well, Pete, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your idea. No problem. Well, speaking of Luis Robert, another trade idea has the young Cuban outfielder being moved to Miami. I like the target, but are the White Sox giving up too much in this scenario? Well, let's ask Eric, who posted the Immortal Time Machine offseason plan. And Eric, you are trading Luis Robert, Blake Rutherford, Wellington Castillo, and Dane Dunning to Miami for catcher JT Riomuto. Why would you make this deal? Uh, I'd make it for a couple of reasons. First thing is that I'm not someone who thinks that we can just offer money to free agents like Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, and just convince them to get here for the paycheck alone. I think we have to have proven players in place 
They're going to attract free agents that will make them want to come to the White Sox. For me, the most expendable players we have right now are anyone we have listed behind Jimenez, Kopik, and Cease. To me, a trade like this has to get done by including a key piece like Lewis Robert. I was willing to give up Blake Rutherford since we just drafted Steel Walker. He's very much a carbon copy type player, and I don't think a trade like this gets done without uh, Dane Dunning. No, I, I agree with you as far as the top end of the prospects. I had a crazy idea surrounding Rio Muto as far as rough drafts. Instead of Luis Robert, I had Zach Collins involved so the Marlins could have a future catcher by letting Rio Muto go. You know, the big thing as far as rumors concerning any team trying to get Rio Muto for Miami is that the Washington Nationals offered Victor Robles before the trade deadline do you think that it's going to have to be a type of move if the White Sox decided to get Rio Muto that they're going to have to overpay just because of what other teams may offer? I certainly think it is going to have to be an overpay. I know that uh, some people that were looking at my plan were saying that it was a lot to give up for only three years of control. Uh, my feeling is, is that they've already traded every other star they have on that team. They traded their entire uh, outfield last season. I think this is the last trade ship they have. They know it. He came in and he had a very, uh, obviously the best uh, offensive season he's had as a catcher. And so I think they know that this is their last chance to acquire prospects. So for the White Sox to beat out some other teams, I think it is going to have to be a little bit of an, o- of an overpay. I know that some people had some concerns saying that uh, Luis Robert was too good to give up. Uh, in regards to players that might have some concerns, a little bit similar to Yon Mankata, he has had some injury issues. I know there were some scouts that said that he had some contact issues with how good of a hitter he was going to be. To me, he is the most expendable asset we have, that his upside may not be what everyone is hoping it is. And to get someone who's a proven player and, most importantly, can solidify that catching position that we haven't had since A.J. Pruszynski, that's something I'm willing to give up to make certain that gets done. Now, you mentioned the years of control. How much of a concern is that? Because Rio Moto has made it publicly known He's not signing a contract extension, especially with the Marlins, if they're going to be a rebuilding team. In your scenario, if this were to happen, Rio Muto is now going from rebuilding team to another team that's also in the midst of a rebuild. Do you think that the White Sox can be good quick enough to convince him to sign on to a longer extension and be with the White Sox past the 2020 season? Depending on what you do in this free agency season and what you're doing in 2019, I think they can. I think that the biggest issue is that he watched, again, every star player in that outfield get traded. He was the one that got left behind. He was uh, notably upset. He did not like the direction the Miami Marlins were going. He, like everyone else, knew that they were just trying to dump salary. Um, I think that if you are able to show him that you are a team that is trending upwards, most importantly, you have some young talent that within the next year or two is, is ready to play now like Jimenez, like Kopik when he comes back from injury, and then most importantly, what else you're able to add in free agency. Like I said, if you put someone like Real Muto in place, does it help you in 2019 to get one of the elite third basemen that are going to be out there who the White Sox will have the money to sign? You're showing him that unlike the Marlins that are entering that. So as long as you're showing up that you have people in place, you're good. Yeah, I really like that line of thinking because I think it will take a two-stage process for Rick Hahn to really make this transition from a rebuilder to a contender. It's a bold move, Eric, but I love the idea. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts. Yeah, no problem. When you rely on the internet for everything, 
you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Thanks again to Trooper Galactus, Pete, and Eric for coming on the show to share their ideas, but there are plenty of more ideas to discuss, and joining me to do so is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. What a great response so far on Sox Machine from White Sox fans who have already submitted their plans. Yeah, it's it's been great. Yeah, a lot, I'm seeing almost 50. I have a couple more in the queue that I haven't gotten to yet. A lot of new names, which is great. Uh, really like the, the turnout of new people. Uh, the 108 is showing up, uh, getting some lurkers out. So it, that's one thing I like about the off-season plan project is a lot of people who, you know, for one reason or another, you know, have not, you know, joined the comments, just kind of lurk way in the background. Uh, they have some cool ideas that they bring to the table, and it's a nice way for people to uh, introduce themselves. And keep them coming, <laughs> even though we're recording yes. this. Uh, and the off-season plan was announced or released uh, four days ago. Keep them coming. If you haven't submitted one after listening to this, I hope you take the dive and share with us uh, and to all of the White Sox fandom, if you were the White Sox GM, how would you handle this upcoming offseason? And before sharing some of our favorite ideas that have already been written, there are a couple of business items we do have to take care of to review as far as Rick Hahn did trim down the roster. The 40-man roster is down to 36 players. He outrighted Danny Farquhar, Ryan Lamar, and Rob Scahill to Charlotte. And I think unplanned. <laughs> uh, I think he was trying to get catcher Kevin Smith through waivers, but instead Smith was claimed off waivers by the Anaheim Angels. And there's been a lot of conversation about Smith on Twitter and on Sox Machine in the, in the comments section. We talked about Kevin Smith, Jim. Uh, I believe that was a P.O. Sox question in our last episode. Why uh, Kevin Smith doesn't get a longer look uh, to possibly stay with the White Sox 25-man roster. Alas, he's not with the White Sox anymore. My personal opinion, there just wasn't a spot for him in 2019 unless the White Sox had somebody that got hurt or Wellington Castillo was traded away. But I'm happy for him, Jim, because now he gets a shot with another ball club. And, oh, hey, that team has Mike Trout. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I think he's somebody who the White Sox respect. Uh, you know, he's, he served a important purpose, just you know, helping, especially last year with Wellington Castillo uh, getting suspended, coming out of nowhere. The White Sox never having dealt with that before. You know, him stepping up, teaming up with Omar Narvaez to come up with a surprisingly productive catcher tandem was, you know, that, I think that saved Rick Renteria a lot of headaches, saved Rick Hahn a lot of headaches. They didn't have to go on the waiver wire and, and try to find more Dustin Garneau's to see if they could find somebody useful. Uh, solved a lot. Uh, I think the thing with Smith is that, you know, he's played this role for a few years now, bouncing between Charlotte and Chicago, and it is an opportunity. I think, you know, maybe in Smith, I guess we'll see what the Angels have planned for him. I think maybe Smith might have been better off 
um, you know, making it through waivers, being in the White Sox system, if the White Sox were planning on trading him during spring training, you're trying to find a team that really needed the catcher, maybe had an injury forcing an issue and had a clear backup job for somebody of Smith's caliber, uh, that could be, you know, maybe a better situation than getting claimed by the Angels this early in the offseason. I could see it, him being, you know, waived again and, and being claimed and bouncing around a couple more teams before he ultimately finds a home. But, yeah, I think it was important for a guy like Smith in his situation, running out of options, to just, you know, find somewhere that could give him a the shot I think he deserves as somebody who has a, uh, you know, a, a decent hit tool, uh, a good relationship with pitchers, and, and, you know, can receive all right. It's just the the lack of arm strength is a concern. Yep. And, Sebi's, and Sebi Zavala coming up and kind of serving the same purpose in the organization except being, you know, younger and being a potential catcher of the future, whereas Smith, you know, is uh, 30 years old and, and, you know, Young in terms of major league mileage and maybe even pro ball mileage, but overall, um, yeah, I think they're hoping Zavala is the guy who steps in and, you know, whether it's the backup role that Smith might have had or maybe, you know, a uh, platoon type. I think either way, Zavala is the one that they want to clear the path for. And we can't forget about Zach Collins. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> if he's still yeah. the catcher of the future for the White Sox unless they have different plans. For him, so I, I just I, I don't view letting Kevin Smith or again I don't think they let Kevin Smith go. They put him through waivers, thinking that he would clear waivers, and maybe he could still be outrighted to Charlotte, and the White Sox would have him back in spring training. And again, you never know, especially what we learned from this past spring training. Guys get hurt, but alas, the Angels must have liked Kevin Smith enough to claim him, and now Kevin Smith is with the Angels. So. Good luck to Kevin Smith, and again, he gets he now gets to play with Mike Trout. I think he's in a better situation at the moment <laughs> uh, than being outright at the Charlotte. Yeah, if they can, yeah, clear him the playing time. Yeah, it's certainly uh, you know more rebuilding. Right. Uh, so later this week, there are a couple more roster spots that Rick Hahn has to address, and that is the contract options have to be settled five days after the World Series. And the Chicago White Sox have two players that have contract options, and they're both pitchers. One is James Shields. We've been talking about his looming option for a while. And Nate Jones, his option as well, is up in the air. And Jim, do you have a good read on which direction Rick Hahn could go here? Because, uh, again, we'll know before the end of the week on what the status is for both Shields and Jones with the White Sox 40-man roster. Not quite. I think with Jones, you know, if I had to guess, and if the White Sox are going to slow play the offseason and not really look for, um, you know, massive costly upgrades, maybe more of uh, trading on the margins or looking for undervalued assets, maybe waiting until later in free agency to get involved, then I can see them bringing back Nate Jones. He's got a $4.65 million option, $1.25 million buyout. So really, they're talking about spending uh, you know, an extra $3.4 million on Nate Jones. Um, given how well he pitches when he's healthy, you know, there's a reason to think, are you going to find a better pitcher on a one-year $3.4 million deal? That's going to be tough. You know, at least you know, it's, it's kind of a lottery at that point, you know, Jones versus the rest of the field. But... I think, you know, if the White Sox have ambition and if they're going to go after Machado and if they're going to, you know, maybe a guy like Yasmani Grandal or, you know, any of these guys who could command, you know, 50 plus million, 
then I think that, you know, that Nate Jones's salary figure, while not, you know, huge in and of itself, you, you, you pair it with Avi Garcia's $8 million arbitration figure and, and a couple other, you know, ways where these dollar figures can pile up and all of a sudden you're spending an unnecessary 10 plus million, then maybe it gets in the way. So I think when it comes to Nate Jones, I think it comes down to what the White Sox are thinking about doing uh, money-wise. I think if they're going to be aggressive in the offseason, but aggressive in a penny stock way, or at least a uh, you know, trading extra for extra, then Jones really doesn't matter. But uh, if they are looking to clear open a roster spot, uh, acquire a lot of guys, you know, maybe a lot of guys who need a 40-man roster spot, you know, maybe that's one reason why Jones comes off too. So uh, I don't really have a good feel on it. I could see the arguments either way, and it really comes down to, uh, I think, the roster spot more than the money. Now, with this timeline, does this also pertain to players that also have options to opt out that they have to decide within five days? Yes, that's for uh, basically setting the free agent field. Okay. That's going to be really intriguing regarding Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. <laughs> Will uh, Kershaw opt out? How do you feel about that, especially with what has happened this postseason? Do you think he'll opt out? I I don't think so. I, I just wonder with his you know health and with his you know back acting up and not having as much life on his fastball as he used to. I wonder if that would be a risky play. I think either way, you know, it kind of reminds me of A. Rod a little bit, uh, and 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 CC Zabathia when they opted out and really had nowhere else to go but the Yankees, and and they just seemed like future Yankees from you know there on out. Uh, I could see the same thing happening in Kershaw where maybe they, you know, if he does opt out, it's for like some maybe predetermined outcome they've talked about already and reshaped the deal a little bit. But, um, you know, based on the way his, uh, yeah, I think he's still an above average starter, uh, maybe not a Cy Young winner anymore. Um, and it just really, when it comes to health and back health, it's hard to imagine the Dodgers letting him go if he does opt out, but it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, Kershaw being a free agent in the first place. So it's a weird situation, and given the Dodgers' deep pockets and just how much Kershaw means to them, it would be weird to see another uh, organization. So I could see him, if he does opt out, I think it's with another plan in mind with the Dodgers. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm unsure. I'm fascinated on how his situation will play out. Again, we're going to know before the end of the week if Clayton Kershaw will or will not opt out. There's other players as well that have... Uh, pending opt-outs as well. Jason Hayward of the Chicago Cubs also comes to mind, but I think he'd be crazy to opt out of his contract. <laughs> yeah. uh, he should yep. definitely opt in and continue with that because I do not think he'll get that type of money if he was a free agent now. So there will be some activity that happens in the free agency market later this week, as we just discussed. And to make it even more interesting or add some more spice to it, Scott Boris was on the Yes Network this past weekend, and he was asked about his top client, Bryce Harper. And Boris said, we have a done deal. What happens to be regarding that done deal is that Scott Boris was joking uh, with Michael Kay. Uh, Instead, Bryce Harper doesn't have a deal yet. Uh, but as we discuss the rest of this program about ideas we like from the offseason plans and even make our own suggestions, the big takeaway from last offseason, Jim, was just how slow it played out. We, before last year, are just trained that 70% of the offseason moves are going to happen in the winter meetings. 
And that didn't happen last year. The winter meetings were just a dud. Uh, and I feel so sorry for all those that went down to Orlando, Florida, just to hang out in a hotel lobby and not much was being discussed. Uh, but, you know, you got Scott Boris making this joke that, you know, a deal's done for Bryce Harper. We're going to know right after the World Series. Uh, do you think that the pace will be quicker this year, that the signings will happen in a much more rapid pace? Well, it's funny with the Boris thing. I wonder if he was alluding to, you know, maybe indirectly to his history with A-Rod. When we're talking about A-Rod's opt-out, Boris announced that during the World Series, then Game 7, and got in a lot of trouble, a lot of blowback from the league. I think A-Rod dumped him after that, although A-Rod ended up signing the contract, so it didn't really matter. Um, he signed the contract with Boris's agent, so I don't know if it mattered materially. It was his last contract he ever signed. Might have been just more symbolically than anything, but I think maybe that was the joke he was making uh, is is pointing that out. But given you know, given that the Dodgers are out of the penalty box, or at least out of the luxury tax, um, and I think the Yankees are out from under it, uh, it seems like they could be enough to drive the offseason, especially like say. If the Dodgers are, you know, right now, as we're recording this, they're down 5-1 to one in the bottom of the eighth. If they lose the World Series again, if they're extra motivated to try to load up, I could see them uh, putting a dent in the market early. And uh, you, may, you may be the Yankees, too, with the Red Sox being there as the defending world champions trying to make, a, uh, make an impact. I think them being largely out of it or looking for cost-cutting measures... Uh, you know, that has an impact on the free agent market. I think the same thing, too, with the Phillies for a while being rebuilding. The Phillies historically were a very aggressive team, and the Phillies were one of the few teams that added aggressively last offseason, and, you know, they could be in the mix again. So there might be enough big market teams this time around to drive the conversation a little earlier. And, you know, I, I think with uh, so many teams rebuilding and so many big market teams sitting out, there's just kind of this weird middle ground of maybe, you know, eight or nine teams idly adding but not really being pushed by other competitors and there might be a few more teams in the mix this year you know maybe even getting up to half the league uh to where it's not as lagging i I still can see many situations dragging into uh january but when it comes to the top of the market i don't think it'll be as slow and i think that's a great way to segue into the offseason plans that have been posted already on socksmachine.com Staying with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, there were a few offseason plans uh, that had Bryce Harper part of their plan that the White Sox would sign Bryce Harper. And yeah, the contracts are as crazy as you could imagine. Many 10-year, $320 million. I think I saw one for 12 years, $400 million. Uh, be paying Bryce Harper all the way to his age 38, uh, $35 plus million. Uh, I'm sure that is what the price tag is. And there were even more Manny Machado signings as well. And what has transpired in this postseason regarding Manny Machado? Uh, Maybe this is a hot take, Jim. But let's say if the White Sox are serious about going after Manny Machado, I don't think he, as in Manny Machado and manager Rick Renteria, uh, would coexist well in the same clubhouse it it doesn't seem like i think there are exceptions with stars and i think machado being the most talented person you know we saw it with the way renteria hustled uh enforced hustle uh you know avi runs maybe 60 percent 
at 60% down the first baseline, a routine flyout gets benched. Abreu starts taking off armor on a pitch in the dirt that gets away, doesn't run out to first. He's not benched. So I think when it comes to stars, I, I think Renteria does know uh, just how you know, of a hard ass he can be before it starts biting him. So I don't know if that would be the, the factor, but maybe in a situation where you know a team like the White Sox might be a little reluctant to have him as the franchise player <laughs> maybe that's that could be a weird kind of situation to where um you know but then when it comes to Renteria you know I I, I think if there was a a battle between the manager who's had two losing seasons and is a lame duck year uh versus a guy who's going to be around for 10 plus years in a contract <laughs> I think the manager would lose pretty quickly so I agree with you on that yes yeah so <laughs> If that is awkward, it'd only for maybe be for like four months. <laughs> I don't even think that long. I'd just be like, "Well, we're going to sign Manny Machado and Rick Renteria. Uh, you're fired." Uh, that's all I can see how that situation would play out, and the White Sox would have to bring in a new manager. No, I, I think you mentioned as far as the the big teams, the big market teams, the New York Yankees, Los Angeles Dodgers. I think Manny Machado is going to return to Los Angeles. I think he's going to stay. As a Dodger, I think the Dodgers will find a way to sign Manny Machado and keep him in that organization. That's where I see Machado going. Bryce Harper, I'm not exactly sure on where he will land. Uh, but for those two, I, I just don't see a plausible situation, Jim, where either the White Sox land Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. H- have your thoughts changed after the postseason? Do they have a chance to sign either of them, and if they do have a chance, how likely is that? I, I don't think they do. I think for a couple of reasons, just because they're not contending, and I think a, a guy like Harper, who has come close a couple of times but hasn't quite you know gone deep into October, and Machado, who's uh, right now going to be on the doorstep of one, but uh, not quite get there. I, I think they're ready to contend and lead, and it's hard for a team like the White Sox, unless they're willing to outbid by a ridiculous amount to really make the same impact on them unless you know, maybe they have some opt-out language that really puts them in a bind after year one. It's just hard to uh, see them coming up with a contract either steep enough or creative enough, uh, just exposing them to too much risk to where they can you know overcome the initial disadvantages they have as a team that's not contending, as a team that... Uh, doesn't really have the uh, the pull of the big market teams, the more successful teams, the marquee teams of the league. So do you want to make any guesses or maybe instead of just guesses, like who do you think are the more likely destinations that Manny Machado could land? Well, I think it's, you know, you mentioned the Dodgers and I think the Yankees are the other one just with the D.D. Gregorius <laughs> injury. It's, uh, you know, it reminds me, you know, there have been a couple situations where teams have just been able to go overkill. Um, the Yankees did it before with Derek Jeter, you know, moving A-Rod, you know, they had Derek Jeter at short, they signed A-Rod or they, they acquired him, uh, they traded for him rather, and then they moved him to third (laughs) just because they could. And I think the Yankees somehow, you know, when they can do something, just do it. You know, George Steinbrenner isn't there anymore, but I think there's, they have the history there to where you can't ignore it that oftentimes they'll do it just because they can. And, uh, I think Machado's, uh, fondness for New York is well known, um, and was kind of annoying to, I think, Baltimore officials when they're trying to move him earlier in the year. And it just seems like 
maybe not quite a natural fit in terms of need and making the biggest impact because the uh, Yankees are already a 101 team, but it just seems like the perfect mix of player and market and joining a front runner or a team that's just about to, you know, be dominant for years. Yeah. If they get Manny Machado, the evil empire is in full force and will be casting a shadow over the American League along with the other, uh, as far as the powerhouses. I don't think the Boston Red Sox are going to go away anytime soon. I don't think the Houston Astros are going away anytime soon. So if the White Sox do want to be a contender for the World Series, uh, they're going to have to even maybe raise the bar a little bit higher as far as what kind of quality team that they want to build. But, of course, the first step is building a team back to being respectable and then being a contender to win the American League Central. And from there, we've seen crazier postseasons before. Anything could happen if you could just make it into the postseason. So let's discuss some of the ideas that we enjoyed reading on SoxMachine.com. We heard a few of them already on the show uh, but Jim, I guess I'll start off here with one that's a internal signing uh, with one of the White Sox young players that caught my eye, and that was from Armchair GM. And their suggestion was to sign a new deal with Ronaldo Lopez, seven years, $47 million. Obviously, this is the type of contract that the White Sox have been well known for as far as signing cost-controlled contracts that help as far as these young players make more money uh, and then be able to buy out their free agency years or at least one or two of those free agency years on the cheap. Do you think this is another opportunity with Ronaldo Lopez that Rickon could pounce on and make one of these deals? It's possible. You know, I saw that and... You know, thinking about Lopez and thinking about extensions and also thinking about the market, um, you know, where where you have players now going to arbitration more than they ever did and maybe eschewing the um, contract extensions that they used to sign to buy out those years. That's what makes me think it's unlikely on on one side, the player side, that players are not quite as amenable to them. On the White Sox side, you know, Lopez is a guy who has, you know, kind of had some issues with fluctuating fastball uh, velocities and, you know, some nagging injuries here and there. But it does seem like Lopez might be the kind of guy who, you you watched him pitch, it was a lot of fun watching him kind of come into his own, embrace his emotions, um, you know, show a bit more fire out there, show up in big late-inning moments when Rick Renteria gave him the leash to finish his sixth inning or seventh inning, coming through, pounding the mitt, um... You know, he had the kind of fire to where it seemed like he was coming into his own. And you could see him, lead. you know, whether it's leading rotation in terms of being the most talented or just being the guy who's the most, uh, you know, emotive or at least the, the, the you know, maybe rah-rah. Not, not maybe like demonstrative in terms of, you know, negative emotion and positive emotion, just kind of leaving it all out there, but just being somebody who, uh, you know, has the attitude to put a team on his back or rotation on his back. Uh, it seems like he does has the mindset for it. So I, I like the idea of having him around for a while to hopefully see him establish himself as a, yeah, I wouldn't call him top of the rotation in terms of stuff, but top of the rotation in terms of um, just being somebody who loves being 
with the White Sox and competing every five days. So I like the idea of keeping around for a while. Um, I, I don't know if this is the market to do it, but he seems like the one guy, you know, given that Moncada's had a rough season and also that he signed the massive deal to um, yeah, the massive signing bonus to where he's already had one set for life contract with him. Lopez might be the one guy who has that, uh, you know, might has, or I would say Lopez, is the guy who has a combination of the not having signed the big money deal yet. And the combination of performance plus, um, you know, might need the security uh, that gets a deal like that done. All right. So we can go back and forth here. Uh, cause I have a list of ideas that I like. What's an idea that you've liked, uh, reading the plans on socksmachine.com, Jim. Well, when I look at these off-season plans, especially for the mindset of somebody who is looking for rosters, other teams that have gluts of positions and might have to unload some guys, um, that's kind of what I'm looking for with this whole project uh, and, and mining ideas from it. And, you know, for example, the Cincinnati Reds uh, were the subject of two uh, trade proposals from the same position. One was Beef Loaf. Uh, proposing that the White Sox acquire Eugenio Suarez, uh, the third baseman, on the Major League roster, and then Stryker uh, uh, suggested acquiring Nick Senzel, uh, the top prospect third baseman in the Reds organization, because he's blocked by Suarez. You know, one way or another, uh, the the Reds just have too many good infielders, and they have massive weaknesses elsewhere. Uh, their outfield is pretty bad. Their pitching staff, uh, starting pitching staff is terrible. And uh, given that Suarez is under contract, I think, through 2023 or 2024, and Senzel has not yet made the majors, both of those guys, you know, they could command a price, but also seem to fit well within the White Sox uh, depth chart, uh, within the White Sox payroll for years to come, and offer skills that they are short on. You know, power, um, uh, some on-base skills that, you know, both of them get on base well, and, uh, you know, just decent defense and being uh, overall, you know, four to five win players, at least projected like that. Yeah, it seems pretty unclear what the game plan is for Nick Senzel for the Cincinnati Reds. He missed the second half of the year because he had the torn ligament in his finger. And obviously that's a blow as far as his development. But there's rumors that he was going to play second base. They had Scooter uh, Jeanette that I believe is a free agent and that's a spot available possibly for Senzel or maybe even put him in the outfield. Uh, he's a natural third baseman. So it is. it seems weird on, on how they've been handling Nick Senzel. Uh, so I don't mind that idea of, of trying to get a player like Senzel. It's just I wonder what that cost would be. Yeah, uh, but I, I like those ideas. And I like you know the, somebody like Suarez who you know his value might be peaking but is also just 27 years old. You know, theoretically, that could maybe work out. So, you know, just the in terms of ideas, uh, I, I like where where they're looking. Yes. Well, you mentioned beef loaf. Uh, one of the funnier ideas is uh, his trade idea of trading Lucas Giolito and Jordan Stevens to Baltimore for Dylan Bundy. And, and I mentioned funny because someone in the comments section. Uh, mentioned that it was trading Lucas Giolito for older Lucas Giolito. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, uh, that's great. But no, uh, on a more serious note, another 108er, uh, Cherizi E, uh, his trade idea, I think, is intriguing. His idea was trading Jose Abreu to the New York Mets for Michael Conforto. And I like that idea 
because if you're going to move Jose Abreu, obviously it'd be nice to have somebody that could be in the major leagues and they can help the major leagues if at all possible. Because I don't think you're going to get a blockbuster prospect type of deal for Jose Abreu entering his final year. And obviously this is going to be a topic that's pop- that's going to be popular questions for Rick Hahn to address this offseason. Uh, but what do you think about that idea of trading Abreu to the Mets for Conforto? Well, that's one area where I was a bit surprised was seeing the uh, you know more and more support for trading Abreu. You know, perhaps that's because he is going to be a free agent and you know can be uh, re-signed at the end of the year. Could also be the fact that you know he was around and and you know being a uh, you know, supposedly you know intrinsic veteran and helping the young players come along, especially you know, a guy like Mankata, and yet Mankata's season was you know, inconsistent, and they lost a hundred games. So maybe you know the value isn't quite there from an intangible standpoint. But Conforto is you know another interesting situation. I think you know with the Mets, they're going to be worth watching just because they have a couple guys. I think Dom Smith is another one of prospects who have shown performance you know in the in the minors and and you know should have some skills the Mets could use but they've just been strangely mishandled or kind of scuttled to the bench or you know not given opportunities to hit against um you know same-handed pitchers you know whatever what have you um just not a whole lot of respect and Conforto has been you know for a couple years he did play 153 games this year uh had a decent season hit 28 homers uh you know had an OPS of uh, 124 OPS plus of 124 so you know an above average player he's got a few years of team I think he's entering arbitration this season um you know they're are uh, things to like from him. And uh, the one question I, I think I would have with the Mets is that I think they are, I'm checking right now to see if they've centered on a new GM. Yep. Brody Van Wagenen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fascinating. The Mets are weird. You know, they're, they're, you know, with the will ponds and ownership, you know, meddling too much at three GMs last year. Uh, they don't seem to do anything. Um, conventionally, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, if, and Van Wagenen comes in with you know his own ideas and maybe likes Conforto more than the previous regime did, then you know perhaps they'll find a way to use him. But if you know Wagenen comes in with maybe some ideas given to him from ownership, you know they could be wide open. And and, and <laughs> I like, uh, I wouldn't uh, if I were the White Sox, I would definitely ask about him because he does fit as somebody with on base skills, uh, power, and you know the ability to cover center, even though he's more of a corner outfielder, I think naturally. Yeah. That whole ordeal with the Mets and their GM. I mean, he represents a couple of their players, right? Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom. Yeah. How is that not a conflict of interest? Yeah. I'm, this is, I think pretty new, right? Like, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I've never heard of a, a team hiring the, one of the agents to two of their most popular players to be the general manager. He'd have to give up being their client. I got to imagine. Yeah, I saw that, but I saw that Tony Clark, uh, um, was, yeah, raised the question of, yeah, the, the MLBPA leader, um, raised a question about like whether, you know, somebody like a player's agent takes over GM and has a whole bunch of information that he was previously keeping to himself as the representative of those players. So even if he does, you know, dump 
uh, you know, is forced to hand over clients and, and um, you know, turn a new leaf over when it comes to a new job, he still has a bunch of brain space devoted to, uh, you know, these players that he previously represented and even players that he might have heard about in back-channel discussions among other agents. You know, that's really bizarre. Yeah, that is bizarre. So, Terezi E., Maybe there's an opportunity because I yeah. think it's oh. just going to get a lot weirder when it comes to the Mets. <laughs> yeah, he represents Syndergaard, DeGrom, Cespedes, and Todd Frazier. Oh, yeah, no conflict of interest. <laughs> what the? Oh, Mets. Oh, you know, there's one thing. It's it's not a great moment to be a White Sox fan, but it's it's kind of a weird time to be a New York Mets fan. Uh, yeah. Seeing as how it wasn't that long ago, they were just in the World Series and – Things are getting uh, things are getting weird in Queens. Okay, so that was one of the uh, ideas that I liked. What's another idea that you liked? Well, to uh, you know, talk about another team with outfield glut is the Dodgers. Um, and depending on what they do this year, but you know, the, looking through the off-season plans, there were three separate outfielders mentioned as legitimate possibilities one way or another, you know, based on them getting maybe squeezed out of serious playing time or never getting the chance for serious playing time. One, uh, I think uh, Greg was one of them who uh, presented the idea of Andrew Tolles. Um, you know, center fielder has been kind of on the fourth, on the periphery of the outfield discussion. Deserves more time, hasn't been able to get it. Alex Verdugo uh, is a top prospect, um, you know, one of their top prospects who has never gotten a shot just because of the outfield glut. And then there's Jock Peterson, who's been around for a couple of years, had some big moments, uh, more of a lefty-righty guy, more of a, um, you know, somebody who, who plays in platoons, but, you know, maybe for a team rebuilding, could get a shot against left-handed pitching. But, you know, you look at all three of those guys and you think, you know, for one reason or another, you know, why couldn't they be acquired? And, uh yeah, I, I think that's another area to where you look at those, you know, three players and think that if there are three players available or theoretically looking for chances, one of them has to be available for a reasonable price. Yeah, I I can see that, especially, let's say, if the Dodgers, they don't go after Manny Machado, but they sign Bryce Harper, then yeah, somebody is going to be available and... uh hopefully it's at a, an affordable price. I think any of those outfielders can most certainly help the White Sox in 2019. So I agree with you, Jim. If the Dodgers are going to make a significant addition, especially to their outfield, the White Sox should be calling. Both teams seem to be pretty comfortable uh, making deals every single year. Uh, so why not continue that trend, right? An another idea, instead of approaching the Los Angeles Dodgers for an outfielder, there were quite a few ideas on Sox Machine regarding the Milwaukee Brewers, another popular uh, team that the Chicago White Sox make trades with. And this idea came from Eagle Bones. And Eagle Bones' idea was trading Yomer Sanchez and Alex Call to Milwaukee for Domingo Santana. How do you feel about that idea? Santana is somebody who, you know, he was squeezed out of the Milwaukee Brewers outfield rotation and it was part of their effort to diminish the amount of strikeouts they had. Um, you know, they had a pretty productive outfield, but I think they led the National League. They set the record in strikeouts that the White Sox broke. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they got a lot of production, but just, you know, they had a massive gap in their game and, and caused their offense to go dark against um, talented pitching staffs. And they had Keon Broxton and, and, and Domingo Santana. Both of them were bumped out for Christian Yelich and uh, Lorenzo Cain. So I think that would be my one. Yeah, I like the idea of Santana as like a... Uh, you know, somebody who improves the White Sox outfield picture. 
but I don't see him having the skill set to be part of the next contender just because of that pretty glaring hole. I think if he's you know acquired as somebody who is who's there while other pieces have yet to be in place, just a lot of strikeouts you have to work around and, and a lot of strikeouts other guys can't have as they grow into their roles. So that's I think my one uh, I guess my one reservation about going that route. All right, so do you have another idea that you liked? I'm looking at my list here. Um, when it came to you know free agent pitchers, there you know the Dallas Keuchel and Patrick Corbin I think are the most prominent options. Um, you know uh, Corbin having a a renaissance with his slider, with the Diamondbacks and Keuchel you know having a Cy Young um, uh, under his belt with the Astros and having the kind of profile that might be. You know, might age well as a lefty with command, um, but I do like the you know, the the uh, you know watching uh, Hyunjin Ryu pitch for the Dodgers, uh, being a free agent. Um, you know, he's got the stuff. His health has always been, um, you know, his availability has always been in question, and and the Dodgers have, you know, they they, they might have masked that a little bit just because they've had a bunch of pitchers. You know, you think about you know Kenta Maeda, you think about Brandon McCarthy, guys that kind of shuffled in and out of the mix for the, the 10 day DL on the rotation, uh, just kind of having a revolving door. Um, you know, I wonder if it's something with the Dodgers there to where, you know, maybe pitchers don't, <laughs> they have so many pitchers that they don't maybe get the attention they need. But Ryu, I think I like the idea of him being in the White Sox rotation if healthy enough. Uh, and, uh, He's a, his market's going to be fascinating because he clearly does have the stuff. Just more of a matter of whether he can give a team, you know, 150 plus innings on a, you know, over a three-year deal. Yeah, that is that is a key question. I think that's a good question for a lot of the starting pitchers that are available in free agency. Not just Ryu, but we'll talk about my boring offseason plan in a moment here. But Nathan Eovaldi is a popular target, and he has oh, been yep, yep. used a lot in this postseason uh, in that epic 18 inning affair. That was more one of the more impressive bullpen outings that I've seen to come out of the bullpen and throw six innings. Uh, I, I think really helped out Boston, especially the next two games to allow the Red Sox to win this series in, in five games on the effort uh, from Eovaldi. And he pitched even prior to as well in those games, Patrick Corbin, uh, this has been one of the few times he's able to pitch a full year. Uh, and then there's a lot of questions in regards to Dallas Keuchel. Uh, is the stuff starting to regress? And is that a red flag moving forward? So I think for all the starting pitchers in free agency, we could always nitpick, right? And, you know, be very cautious uh, on approaching these types of pitchers. I think all of them could help the Chicago White Sox be a much better team in 2019. Now, there was an idea that really caught my attention, uh, and this is a, a trade with Arizona. So we talked about trading with Arizona in our last podcast. This idea comes from Azid Rec Jim, and his idea is trading Luis Gonzalez, Spencer Adams, and Jordan Stevens to the Diamondbacks for Zach Granke. Now, the Diamondbacks, in my opinion, are not getting much in return for Zach Granke. This would be a straight-up salary dump. Is this an idea, though, that the White Sox should entertain this offseason? It is. Um, I would say the I'm looking up his contract to see how long it runs um, through 2021. So he's kind of on the uh, Carlos Rodon plan a little bit, uh, just in terms of, you know, you need to get the best out of him soon. 
and I don't know if the White Sox would get enough out of him, especially, you know, I think if you're trading for Granke, you accept the money and you hope that you make the most out of his first year, you know, out of his 2019, and then, you know, you, you knock down the expectations a little bit for 2020 and 2021. So I think that's, I think, you know, I like the idea of Granke, and I, I think maybe if the White Sox were maybe a year uh, ahead in the rebuild, you know, if they looked like 2019 was going to be an adding year, or, you know, maybe if Granke was, you know, perhaps the subject of a fire sale in, you know, after the 2019 season, that would be worth exploring. If you get somebody of his caliber for basically his contract and a couple players who might be um, extra at this point. But uh, I think right now, I don't know if he quite fits, but I, I do like the idea of, you know, using that payroll to uh, acquire somebody else's regrets. Do you have another idea that you liked reading from the plans? Well, one was interesting, um, you know, with the Yankees, you're talking about, you know, prospects getting blocked and with the acquisition of uh uh, Giancarlo Stanton, and depending on what they do with Bryce Harper, you know, a guy like Clint Fra- uh, Clint Frazier showed up a couple times as a possibility, a first, a former first round draft pick, highly touted with the Indians. Uh, his his prospect status has um, become a little bit murky with this. Uh, I think he's had concussion injuries, and so not quite sure, you know, whether he'll be able to play, you know, a, a good center field and throw his body around and, you know, be able to deal with, uh, you know, his injuries. But uh, there was that one, and I'm I'm looking at the names. uh, But the other one was, I know that this one was Pete Hand. He kind of looked at the uh, Yankees outfielder glut and looked the other way. Hall of Frank was somebody who uh, was the guy who uh, produced uh, Clint Frazier. On the other hand, uh, Pete Hand suggested uh, Estevan Floreal, who is, uh, you know, an A-ball outfielder. And that's like, that's an interesting, uh, um, it's it's an interesting way to approach such a deal. You know, if you're able to acquire an A-ball outfielder, has had some, you know, injuries that have interrupted his ascent, and so maybe he's not quite there, but has the tools, has the combination of speed and, and, and growing into his power and, you know, a decent hit tool to where, you know, if he can play up the middle and, and you know, you have a way to give him at bats in Winston-Salem and Birmingham. Um, you know, move, might move some guys around or trade some guys to make it happen, but, you know, if you could launch him, you know, that could be somebody who extends the window of the rebuild you know, another two or three years. You know, if you look at that kind of prospect who's a ways away, but, you know, might be blocked and has no feasible uh, route up to the big league. So that was a way, you know, I when looking at the White Sox and who they could acquire, you know, I've been mainly focusing on guys who could help the 25-man roster now or maybe a year away, but you know, thinking about somebody who might be two or three years away, but theoretically, you know, might be somebody the White Sox need to help finish rebuild is a uh, pretty fascinating thing to kind of mull over. Well, you mentioned the Yankees and another popular idea from fans was acquiring Sonny Gray from the New York Yankees. Now, it sounds like the Yankees have no interest in keeping Sonny Gray and that I think the idea is that Sonny Gray could help out fill in one of the rotation spots of the Chicago White Sox in 2019. And from Anderson's home run stare, uh, from that offseason plan, their suggestion, and we talked about Nate Jones, was to trade Nate Jones to the Yankees 
for Sonny Gray. Do you think a deal like that could work in which the White Sox are giving the Yankees a reliever who does have a 97-mile-per-hour fastball and a nice slider to pair with it, but there are injury concerns in exchange for a starting pitcher that has injury concerns? It's not, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think the price is too far off. You know, it might be Jones and somebody else. Um, but given the White Sox affinity for former, uh, or given the Yankees affinity for former White Sox relievers and, you know, Robertson, Canely, uh, you know, they've, they've, you know, traded with them before. They've had a nice relationship. Perhaps, you know, not out of hand, because I think they are looking to move Gray, and I think Gray's market is depressed. I think there are enough pit, enough teams who could be kind of sniffing around Gray and thinking like he was fine a couple of years ago with Oakland. Maybe we can fix him to where the price might go up a little bit higher. But given that he's got one year left, um, I can't imagine the price going up that much. So not, not bad. All right. So that was the last idea that I had that I, I really liked, or at least jumped out to me as good ideas. Do you have any more left on your list? Yes, you know, along the same lines of um, you know somebody like Gray who's struggling with um, a team and, and might not figure it out and might be kind of bumped out naturally, uh, Mancata 5 ever produced the idea of Julio, uh, Julio Terran um, with the Braves. You know, he's had a you know he's been kind of one of their stalwarts through their rebuild, but. Um, has been, you know, had some diminishing effectiveness, had an, you know, okay season, but kind of, you know, only threw 175 innings this year, despite making 31 starts. Wasn't really somebody who lasted well in the games. You know, he had a, he kind of peaked a few years ago, um, but he's only 27. And, you know, he's just kind of a, an average starter at this point. Uh, and the, and the Braves have guys coming up who might be able to make use of that. Um, he's a free agent in 2020. So his, you know, kind of running out of time, um, or he's got a 20, he's got actually a team option for 2020. So, you know, if he does um, perform up to a certain level, he can retain him for, you know, two years instead of one. Um, seems like there might be a possibility to where, you know, they acquire a league average starter for, he's you know, getting paid more or less market rate or close to it, but, you know, does a team a favor of, of uh, you know, opening up a roster spot so the uh, you know, price might not be too high and, you know, that's kind of an idea I liked, even if he might be a little bit, uh, you know, um, not quite uh, peak form as he was in 2016. And is that it? Is that it for the ideas list that you have? I think so. Yeah, you mentioned a couple. I like the, the, the Real Muto um, idea as a, I, I like the way it was presented as, you know, this is kind of the Christian Yelich trade. Do you, you know, <laughs> do, you, do you think the White Sox can, you know, if you need the White Sox to improve, this is the kind of, you know, player they have to, acquire you know a star up the middle to solidify it i like the the intensity with which it was pitched and then you know you to mention pete's idea of tapia you know that's more along the lines of what i'm thinking is a guy who's gotten a few chances with uh colorado but it hasn't quite gotten a chance to stick but has plenty of time in white Sox center field to uh show what he's got and now to our suggestions uh my offseason plan is boring compared to others. I don't know. I had seven. I made seven offseason plans, and that's the one that I went with only because it was the one that I felt most comfortable with as far as uh, being aggressive in some areas and still being cautious and still allowing the rebuild to 
continued to grow and I did not address the position players as well. That's probably a big mistake if I'm hoping that the 2019 White Sox are going to be uh, a surprise team, a dark horse team to become a winning team um, because that's relying on these uh, position players to have uh, a a bigger step forward as far as progression. But I do think that the young players will have to, regardless if the Chicago White Sox in 2020 and beyond are going to be a winning team, if not a contending team. Uh, quickly, if you haven't got a chance to read mine, uh, it's very simple. It only addresses the pitching staff. Uh, I think the White Sox should seriously consider signing Nathan Eovaldi as someone that could help out in the starting rotation. As we learned in this postseason, if your team has Eovaldi on the pitching staff and you make the postseason, he could either help you take care of five to six innings against some of the best lineups in all of Major League Baseball and be able to shut them down. Or he can be electric for an inning and help out in a high leverage situation throwing a 101 mile per hour fastball. I think with that flexibility, despite the having two Tommy Johns, uh, I think that would be the White Sox big target this offseason. Uh, I have the White Sox signing Lance Lynn to a one-year deal because I think he's just in mercenary mode and he could just help out the White Sox for a year. Hopefully it's New York Yankees Lance Lynn and not Minnesota Twins Lance Lynn. And then to help out of the bullpen, uh, Joe Kelly from Boston. Just because Joe Kelly, you can give him the ball, and he lasts an entire year. And I am quite concerned about the durability uh, of Nate Jones. There'll be a lot of internal screaming, Jim, if Nate Jones's option gets picked up and uh, he only pitches two months in 2019. Yeah, no, but I think he's done, uh, you know, Joe Kelly with the way he pitched in the World Series. I think he did quite a bit to uh, uh, bump up his stock. He, he did kind of fluctuate in terms of effectiveness and, you know, between starting and relieving you know, over the course of his uh, you know, Red Sox career, but I think he's figured it out. Yeah. So there you go. My very boring offseason plan. Uh, how about you, Jim? Do you have, you haven't written one yet, and I'm sure one is coming, but what are some of the ideas that you're pondering about? Well, you know, to you know, my theme for the last few podcasts has been looking for players who you can free up, and so that's why, um, you know, putting together a spreadsheet of all these ideas and, and looking for the most popular options, and you know, going through the tolls Verdugos types. Um, basically, I think when it comes to the White Sox, that this year it doesn't seem like it's quite go for it, but they do need to improve and they do need to hand at bats to guys deserving of playing time. You know, whether it's guys in the organization like Eloy Jimenez, or guys who are outside the organization, um, you know, the tolls grade, um, who deserve shots but just can't get them. And I think the White Sox being in the position they are, you know, what they have is major league plate appearances. And that's the one luxury. It's a currency they have. They don't have the they, – they have currency in terms of uh, uh, financial flexibility, but they don't have it in terms of uh, attracting players to a winning situation, um, you know, in a firm roster and, and – players knowing exactly who they're playing with and even, you know, who might be managing them depending on what the White Sox do after 2019. But I think when it comes to uh, everything else, you know, you, you want to be able to have, um, you know, basically free, free paths to players who have done all they can, the minors. So that's what I'm looking for. And, and when it comes to free agents, I think, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, we talked about Ryu and that's one I'm keeping an eye on. I also like the idea of Marwin Gonzalez as somebody who provides a lot of value at different positions. Um, and I think, you know, flexibility is another thing the White Sox should keep in mind with this, um, you know, winter and, and 
the potential players that they have coming up, you know, whether it's like somebody like, uh, you know, Jimenez, I think is basically a lock for a corner, but when it comes to somebody like Luis Basabe, um, I'm high on him. You know, I think, uh, there are others who are maybe worrying about his hit tool, you know, switch hitter, you know, will he be effective from both sides? Will he need a bit more time to come up? But, you know, if you clear the path for somebody like him in a corner and your outfield becomes a little bit cluttered, you have third base as a release valve and, you know, vice versa. If you like uh, right now, Gonzalez is an outfielder and you want to sign, you know, like somebody like Moustakis, who you think is undervalued and you can get him for cheap and, you know, no qualifying offer and he improves the infield. Great. Then Gonzalez is an outfielder. So I think I like him as somebody who is a major league player who gets major, you know, every day at bats for a team that can use him. Um, and, can be moved to a number of different positions should prospects surprise. So I think, you know, I would have a more conservative offseason when it comes to acquiring major league players, but I would try to uh, prioritize uh, positional flexibility and uh, the ability to give long additions to guys who deserve them. I like the Marwin Gonzalez idea. He was on one of my rough drafts as well because I figured here's someone that can help take care of third base and then if the White Sox do move on from Jose Abreu and nobody else has stepped up to take over first base, that Gonzalez could, you know, move across the diamond and also pick up some first base duties. Um, but it, yeah, you mentioned as far as the flexibility, and that's the one that we saw in this postseason. Teams like Boston and Los Angeles depth depth was absolutely huge in this postseason. And when you have players like Marwin Gonzalez. Yes, you can have them start in multiple positions, but it does help make your roster a bit deeper when you do have that flexibility to either have a platoon advantage or give guys rest. So I do like the signing Marwin Gonzalez idea quite a bit, Jim. Uh, and we'll see if the, the White Sox move forward with any of our ideas, uh, hopefully, because that will make the offseason a lot more exciting than last offseason. Uh, it'll be interesting to see on how Rick Hahn approaches this offseason because I, I have to think that if he's aggressive, the front office must feel like they are very close to turning a corner. Uh, if the White Sox are not aggressive and they are quiet, uh, I think you'll be telling that they don't feel they're quite ready yet to make that transition from being a rebuilder to a contender. So it is definitely stay tuned. All right, you guys had additional questions about the Chicago White Sox as we head into the offseason. Those are coming up next in P.O. Sox. Before we answer your questions on P.O. Sox, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust, and that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. Every purchase on SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And by making SeatGeek your go-to ticket source, you can get everything from sports, concerts, to comedy, and theater. I use SeatGeek all season long with the Chicago White Sox because it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. You can also use SeatGeek for Chicago Bears tickets. That's a hot ticket right now in the city or any comedy and theater. You got to look ahead as far as the winter months. 
especially if there are any big shows that you're looking to get tickets for. The best part is Sox Machine listeners get to save $20 off your first purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone or visit SeatGeek.com and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting your questions to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Machine or helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast at signing up at patreon.com slash machine. And Jim, the first question we have in the mailbag is circling back to an earlier conversation we had the show regarding Kevin Smith. And the question comes from Russell the Canine. And Russell is asking, is it surprising that Kevin Smith apparently had no trade value? His hit tool is solid and good hitting catchers are getting rarer. Uh, not really, just because he's a catcher who's going to be his age 31 season, like as as, uh, as young as he seems, just based on his, uh, you know, the amount of time he's been around. Uh, he was an old draft pick, an older draft pick, I should say, and so, um, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of time in his physical prime before he's, you know, now on the theoretical backside of it. So I think, you know, having a catcher in his age 31 season coming off uh, a season where he had ankle surgery, um arm strength is really a problem, kind of a fatal flaw for him as a you know catcher who gets all that much playing time. It, there wasn't going to be much playing time. I think it was just going to be more of a change of scenery type, you know, you know, one player who's blocked for another, you know, um, you know, especially like maybe in their thirties and maybe that at most. And given that the White Sox would have had four catchers, you know, once adding Sebi Zavala, you know, adding four catchers on their 40 man roster, it would have been pretty clear that one of them needed to move and it probably wasn't going to be Narvaez, Castillo or Zavala. So uh, the writing was on the wall with Smith. And so I think that kind of knocks down a lot, a lot of the leverage that they might've had. Russell, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from soul food Sunday, and they're asking the Dodgers and Red Sox have 11 and nine homegrown players respectively on their postseason roster. In a parallel universe, where are the White Sox uh, when the White Sox are in the World Series? Uh, where would the 10 homegrown players be? I think, you know, when, you, when looking at the roster, I think in the top 10 prospects list, the White Sox have acquired a lot of their top 10 prospects list from outside. You know, the, the Jimenez, uh, Dunning, Cease, Lopez, Giolito, Moncada, you know, Kopech. You know, all these guys they've acquired have been from the outside, and, and really it's been addressing the shortage in compelling draft picks and uh, lack of success on the international market. I think there is a way for them to get to 10 homegrown picks, but I think it would be kind of bullpen heavy. You know, I was kind of writing down a list of players who might be there, like, say, in 2022 or something like that when they look like, you know, maybe a World Series team. And, you know, Anderson uh, could be there. Nick Madrigal could be there. Um you know, maybe Yolmer, he would count, Luis Gonzalez, Mike Rodolfo, Steel Walker. I mean, like, once you get past, I think, Anderson Madrigal, uh, the player's homegrown becomes a lot more speculative because even, like, somebody like Pasabe was acquired in the Chris Sale deal, so he's not homegrown and doesn't count, even if the White Sox have done a lot of the legwork in developing him. So uh, when it comes to beefing up that number, I think it would be um, 
guys acquired, um, you know, in the draft in the bullpen. I think it would be like Jace Fry, Ian Hamilton, Zach Birdie, um, maybe Alec Hansen, depending on where, you know, how he, uh, you know, ends up like a guy like Jimmy Lambert or Connor Pilkington. You know, these uh, second day draft picks, you know, might end up in the bullpen. Uh, that seems like the way they could maybe beef up that number to get to nine or 10, but position player, just because of the way they've acquired guys uh, might be hard to get it to count. But then, then again, when you look at the A's and the A's winning 95 games and getting to the playoffs, they had very few homegrown players themselves. They've been mostly transactional and you know, there's no fault in doing that. If they acquire a lot of guys who are, you know, an A ball or double A when they acquire them and have done a lot of the work themselves. I should add Luis Robert as a possibility, as he would count as homegrown. But uh, otherwise, yeah, just I think it would be a lot of guys acquired from the outside. and Not necessarily, you know, I think it is damning to a degree of their previous drafts, but, you know, should they get to the point where they are, where, where they are making it to the postseason multiple times in a row and getting the World Series, uh, that would have meant that no matter how they acquired guys, it worked out well enough in the end. And uh, you know, homegrown or not would be quibbling. Thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Simeon. And Simeon is asking, are fans off-season plans overvaluing Jose Abreu's trade value? Is 2017 J.D. Martinez a fair proxy for Abreu? Not quite in terms of... I, oh, I think maybe... Martinez was a better hitter at the time he was traded. Um, and basically Martinez at the height of his power. So there's that. And then Martinez went on a tear uh, afterwards. But I think, uh, you know, having a full season of control, maybe being able to offer a qualifying offer after the season, should they keep him full year, adds a little bit that Martinez didn't have, um, you know, should they acquire a Brave before the season. So I think there might be a little bit more there. Um, and also given that the, you know, free agent market for first baseman and, and you know, I guess free agent market in general is a little bit weaker than it looked when it looked like maybe a, uh, you know, history making free agent class, you know, maybe there is some trade value there. <laughs> there also might be kind of an adjustment internally in fans' minds that, you know, the White Sox seem to have set a pretty high asking price for Abreu. So if they move him, it will be for a cost uh, that will be sufficient. So you know, maybe there's that involved that, uh, they're using the past history of the White Sox to know what would move the needle. Um, but, yeah, I think there is a tendency in all fans to overrate their players a little bit. And yeah, it's also part of bargaining, too, in that you always offer, you always ask for more than you think you can get. You know, there's no point in you know haggling yourself down if you don't have to. And there is no other side to negotiate with in these offseason plans. So I'd anticipate the asking prices or contract prices in general to be a bit more team favorable than you might think you know, across the board. But you know, I think mainly it's more for fielding ideas and potential suitors. And then eventually in the discussion, in the comments, uh, you know, maybe prices would be uh, haggled and negotiated to be a more reasonable level. Great questions this week from everybody for P.O. Sox. Thank you guys so much for submitting questions for P.O. Sox. If you have a question and a topic you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, you're going to have to wait because uh, we are taking the month of November off unless the White Sox make a major move that requires an emergency podcast. But as far as weekly shows go, we are going to take the month of November off. We will be back in December to help preview the winter meetings and gauge on where the offseason is as it's going to be a very hectic three to four days 
hopefully, in Las Vegas during the winter meetings. But I do want to take a moment for all of you who have participated in this year as far as 2018. This was not a tough season. I should say, sorry. This was a very tough season to go through uh, as White Sox fans, and I am very appreciative of everyone that tuned in to listen to our shows all season long. And for those that submitted questions, uh, terrific questions and topics and PO socks uh, for 62 and 100 lost team. And hopefully the 2019 white Sox will be a lot more entertaining to talk about uh, next season as we continue on with the show. But thank you guys so much for tuning in every single week. And especially uh, very grateful for those that help support us financially on patreon.com slash socks machine. And that will do it for this episode of the socks machine podcast. Again, we are taking the month of November off. We will be back in early December to preview the winter meetings. If you just discovered the socks machine podcast and you Too want bad. to play catch up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you can still subscribe. Don't listen to Jim. You can still subscribe to the show. Uh, and if you just want to catch up on some past episodes as we review the 2018 season, you can subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you in December. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.